Welcome to our Frontline City Church podcast. This message will activate and inspire you in the supernatural love of God to find your purpose and reach your destiny through Christ. For God to move in an area, He needs two things. He first needs people, men or women, who will say, I am serious about what God is doing. I am committed to see what God is doing through. But those people need a specific ingredient inside of them. And I want to talk about that ingredient so that you can decide, do you want to be one of the men and women that changes honeydew and the greater area around us, Randburg and Rudderport, and wherever you are watching from, if you want to change your area, there's one ingredient that you have to have inside of you to be able to do it. But so we're going to talk this morning of sons of faith. We spoke last week about Isaac the son. If you remember the picture of Uncle Dave, Uncle Dave, wave your hand there for us so that people will remember. I said, can Dave put a young man of around about eight, between 18 and 30 down onto an altar if that man doesn't want to be? There's Connor standing there behind the camera. Uncle Dave's going to have a little bit of a battle to put Connor down onto the altar if he doesn't want to. So it takes men and women who's willing to lay their life down by themselves onto the altar. And it is a picture of who laid himself on the altar? Jesus. You must know it wasn't the people that crucified Jesus. It was him who decided to stay on the cross. Any moment that he felt the pain was too much, the whole of heaven stood ready to say, Jesus, just speak the word. I imagine the angels saying, isn't he going to call us? If he calls us, are you ready? He would have intervened one shot. And he would have wiped out everybody who stood there with the, trying to nail something into his hands. Trying to tie him down to the cross. Trying to make him on the cross. When the man walked up with the spear to put it into his side. I imagine all the hosts of angels would just hold me back. Stop me from interfering because he is my king. He's the one and he is sacrificing himself. So it takes men and women who are willing to sacrifice themselves for the calling of God. But it also takes an ingredient called faith to, for it to happen. We're turning to Hebrews 11 out of the Passion Translation. Very well-known scripture, but hopefully we can put a different spin on it today. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is testimony of faith is what previous generations were commended for. Faith empowers us to see. You see verse 3, faith empowers us to see. You cannot, cannot, cannot Go into anything that you've got to do for God if you cannot see what he wants to do. Faith empowers us to see that the universe was created 
and beautifully coordinated by the power of God's words. You see, when you are in nature, you see the beauty of nature. But it takes faith to understand that God created it. It wasn't just a bang or something that happened that why this is. I think it takes more faith to believe that a big bang created all of this beauty and it only did it once in the universe. After all the searching, we've only found one planet where it happened than to believe that a God decided. Somebody else, somebody greater decided that this is going to happen. It takes more faith to believe in evolution than what it does to believe in creation. So faith empowers us to see that the universe was created and beautifully coordinated by the power of God's words. He spoke and the invisible realm gave birth to all that is seen. That was verse 4. Verse 5, let's jump there, let's go to verse 6. And without faith living within us, it would be impossible to please God. One of the most important scriptures in the Bible. Without faith... It is impossible to please God. You cannot just live and exist and allow whatever is going to happen, happen. You have to take a stance and resist the things of the devil and push in for what God has for you. It is the only way to please God. It doesn't say that it's impossible to please God without holiness. And it doesn't, I'm not saying we can do whatever we want and we can live without holiness, but holiness is important and people think that they can please God with their holiness. But Jesus paid the price for your holiness. You cannot please God with your holiness. You are already seen by God as holy because he's looking at you through the blood of Jesus. You please God by operating in faith. You please God by stepping out of whatever box life has put you in and start doing something beyond that. It is impossible to please God without trusting Him for something impossible. Listen to that again. Because we just read in verse 1, what is the uh, definition of faith? Now, faith brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire all things we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. So there has to be a desire for something, and there has to be the application of faith for it that becomes the evidence of it. And through that, you are pleasing God. But you know what the Christians have done? I just accept who I am. I just accept the position my church is in. I just accept the position my finances are in. I just accept my illness. And I'm not believing for anything impossible. And God says it's impossible to Please Him in that state. You only please Him when you're pushing, when you're trying to change things, when you're saying, God, show me what is it going to be like in a year's time. Show me what it's going to be like in six months' time. Show me what it's going to be like in eternity. Now you're beginning to please Him. So without faith, verse 6, it's impossible to please God. For we come to God in faith knowing that he is real and that he rewards the faith of those who passionately seek him. The moment you believe God for something, you are telling the whole world he's alive. You are declaring that he is alive. That's okay, I've got one here. All right, so you need to come to God in faith. Now listen to verse 7. By faith Noah 
when warned about the things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. You see, the Passion Translation says, Faith opened Noah's heart to receive the revelation and warnings from God about what was coming. You can't hear God if you don't have faith. If you don't believe he exists, you're not going to believe when he speaks. So if you want God to tell you what is happening in business in the future, if you want God to tell you what's going to happen to your children's future, you need to start operating in a place of faith. You need to say, God, add faith to what I'm doing. So faith opened Noah's heart to receive the revelation and warnings from God about what was coming. Even things he had never seen. He had never seen rain, but God was telling him that so much rain is coming that you need a big boat to save you and your family. Okay? So you need to be able to, to get to doing what God wants you to do. You need to step into a place and say, God, where is my faith lacking? What is the area that I need to grow? How do I exercise my faith muscles? But he stepped out in reverence, obedience to God. So immediately, faith brings reverence and faith brings obedience. If I believe God is going to respond, I'm going to do what he asks. If I believe when God says to me, trouble is coming, you better get out of debt, then I'm going to do it because I have faith in what he has said. But if I think God is just like another voice that's talking in the background and it's part of the noise of the world and it's just like the news about um, what's happening somewhere else. Something that's interesting in the news that we like watching is the volcanoes that is erupting in Iceland. You can go onto YouTube at day and night and there's a live camera watching what was first about a month ago, one crater that's now five craters. And there's this beautiful lava flowing and people are storming to the place to look at it. It's not influencing my life, but it's nice and interesting. Don't treat the word of God like that. Don't think the word of God is just something beautiful to look at. That's influencing somebody else in another place. That's never going to change my circumstances. I'm sorry, the volcano in Iceland is not going to change my life. But it's very pretty and I'm interested and I'm, I like watching it. But some people read the Bible like that. They just think it's for somebody else in another place, in another issue, and it's quite pretty. The Bible is not just a pretty story. The Bible is alive to change your daily life. And you need faith to apply it to saying, hey, I'm a son of faith. I'm going to see change. I believe God is going to hear my passionate cries for an answer. Got a bit quiet here. By faith, the world was condemned, but Noah received God's gift of righteousness that comes by believing. You become righteous by believing God. You become, your whole being changes when you start believing God. When you think God means what he says and he's going to fulfill it. Okay. 
let's look a little bit of some of the patriarchs and from verse 8. Faith motivated Abraham to obey God's call and leave the familiar to discover the territory he was destined to inherit from God. Faith will make you do things and it will make you inherit things. Does that make sense? You will inherit something. Faith motivated Abraham to obey God's call. You will obey when you have faith. If you don't have faith, you're never going to listen. And leave the familiar to discover the territory he was destined to inherit. There are things the people in front line are destined to inherit. But they are not, we are not, let me rephrase that, we are not pushing in in faith and says, this is our inheritance, we are pursuing it. We're just waiting for it to fall into our lap. Why? Because we don't have faith. Are you a son of faith? So it's left with only a promises. So he left with only a promise and without even knowing ahead of time where he was going. Are you willing to obey to that level? Is your faith so overriding that you don't have to know the answer? I know Elder Elmerie, she likes knowing it all planned out about five years in ahead per minute with a structure next to each one. Spreadsheets and budgets and others must be worked in. If it doesn't work, we're not moving. I'm just teasing. But God is calling for us for, to be in another place. And I'm not saying don't plan. And I'm not saying don't have a process. But there's some blind faith required to please God. There's some saying, I'm going to step out. I'm going to call out to God. Doesn't matter if it's going to be uncomfortable. Doesn't matter if it's going to challenge everything else I believe in. Doesn't matter if my friends are going to laugh at me. I'm going to do it. Oh. He journeyed through the land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, who were persuaded that they were also co-heirs of the same promise. This is part of the crux of my message, is that Faith is multi-generational. What you do today is going to influence what happens to your children. What you do in the next weeks and months will influence the destiny of your children. They are co-heirs to the promises that God makes to you. I'm co-heirs to the promises that God makes to my parents. Okay, and... I don't have a lineage of people that were really serving God. I'm like, uh, my mom obviously got saved around about the same time as me and has served God faithfully and prayed for us more than anybody can imagine. But I don't come from a lineage of pastors and so on. I'm the first pastor and my sister is the first pastor. We are first generational in it. But we understand that the promises that God made to Abraham is still applicable to us today. The promises that was made through Jesus are still applicable to us today. And we are pushing in for that multi-generational blessing. We're pushing in for it with all we have. They were also co-heirs of the same promise. Can I ask you to tell somebody around you that you are a co-heir? Say, I'm a co-heir. And you are a co-heir. Write it there on the comments if you're watching from afar. I'm a co-heir of the promises of Abraham. Let it sink in. 
Okay, verse 10. Catch this. His eyes of faith were set on the city with unshakable foundations, whose architect and builder is God himself. God is busy building something in your life, and if your eyes is on everything that's in the natural around you, you're not going to see what God is building. Sarah's faith embraced God's miracle power to conceive even though she was barren and past the age of childbearing. So many of us look at our personal and practical circumstances and says, well, I'm past, it's finished, it's too late. If God came through five years ago, it would have been okay, but now it's too late. We need a bit of Sarah faith in this place. She was barren and was past the age of childbearing. For the authority of her faith rested in the one who made the promise. The authority of your faith is not based on how much faith you have. It's based on who made the promise. Can you catch who made the promise to you? Was it Pastor Hannes? Don't count on that. He's going to fail you sometime. Was it mom? She's going to mess up. Was it one of the elders or the leaders in the church? No. It's on the one with a capital O who made the promise. And she tapped into his faithfulness. Can we tap into what is God's promise and what is his character? Don't tap into your circumstances. If I had to tap into my circumstances, I would sit at home with a blanket over my head and just do nothing. Or verse 13. These heroes all died still clinging to their faith, for not even receiving all that had been promised to them. Whoa, 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 whoa. God, you just told me that faith is going to make things happen. And now you're telling me they died without seeing it. That's contradictory. No. If you understand that it's a multi-generational promise, then every single promise that was made to you and your parents and to your parents' parents is still true and it's going to come. And the promises that were made to Abraham is still coming. But they saw beyond the horizon the fulfillment of their promises and gladly embraced it from afar. They all lived their lives on earth as those who belong to another realm. We can't live based on our circumstances. We can't live in the now and the issues we face now and the lack that we have now and the illnesses we have now and the problems we face now. We have to live in that place of God saying, God, I'm part of another realm. You're building a city in another place. You're taking me beyond what I see. I want to ask you, do you want to be a son of faith? Sure. Verse 14. For clearly those who live this way are longing for the appearing of a heavenly city. And if their hearts were still remembering what they left behind, they would have found an opportunity to go back. You see, this is the problem. Christians are dwelling 
on what could have been and should have been and, could, you know, the past. And if their hearts were still remembering, stay there for a second for me, verse 15. And if their hearts were still remembering what they left behind, they would have found an opportunity to go back. Call the church, turn back church. Go back to the beginning. Go back to where we come. Backsliders church. I know God has got a place for backsliding and he's got a place, but it shouldn't be our aim. It shouldn't be what we look forward to. What we look forward to should be the fulfillment of the promises. And we should be keeping record of the promises. And we should be saying, God, you said this is going to happen. But they couldn't turn back for their hearts were fixed on what was far greater. That is the heavenly realm. What God promises you in the heavenly realm is much greater than your issues in the physical realm. So because of this, God is not ashamed in any way to be called their God. Is God ashamed of being called our God? Because we lack the faith that we apply. So because of this, God is not ashamed in any way to be called their God. For he has prepared a heavenly city for them. We know that Jesus talks a lot about the place that he has prepared for us. And he's talking about, that's why I'm going back to prepare a place for you. And it wasn't a new concept. It was already understanding by the patriarchs. When they lived by faith, they were understanding that God had a plan. Okay, now let's talk a little bit about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The three generations of the patriarchs. We spent a little bit of time on Abraham already last week. Faith operated powerfully in Abraham, for when he was put to the test, he offered up Isaac. Even though he received God's promises of descendants, he was willing to offer up his only son. He had to step into that very place of God to offer up his son, and he did it because he had a faith. For God had promised through your son Isaac, your lineage will carry on your name. Next verse. Abraham's faith made it logical to him that God could raise Isaac from the dead. And symbolically, that's exactly what happened. You see, your faith will make you forget about things. And I see people struggling with the fact that God promised them something and now it's not working out this time. And they stop because it's not working. And I'm part of that. When I don't see the answer soon enough, I start looking at all the problems instead of looking at God. Instead of looking at the promise and letting the promise come higher than the situation around it. Sure. Verse 20. The power of faith prompted Isaac to impart a blessing to his son, Jacob and Esau, concerning their prophetic destinies. This is where we're going. Is that there's something that gets passed down. There's something that you as a Christian parent has got to understand that, go back for me to verse 20. The power of faith prompted Isaac to impart a blessing to his son, Jacob and Esau. Both spiritual sons and physical sons and daughters. There's something that you have to pass on. That is why we use the word son and mom and dad and daughter in this church. 
Because we understand that God is a multi-generational God. We understand that there is a blessing that has to be imparted. Something has to go beyond my lifetime. If I had to die tomorrow, frontline cannot stop. Because God is somebody that's way beyond this time. God is way beyond the life. The blessing didn't stop with Abraham. It continued to Isaac. And then Isaac laid a blessing on his sons, Jacob and Esau. Um, And verse 21, Jacob worshipped in faith reality at the end of his life. And leaning upon his staff, he imparted a prophetic blessing upon each of Joseph's sons. We know the story in Egypt, uh, lots of things that happened, but Joseph had opened the way for Jacob and his family to come to Egypt. But Jacob knew that that wasn't the end. So he prayed over his son's children that they would have a blessing. Go to the next verse, 22. Faith inspired Joseph and opened his eyes to see into the future. If you want the prophetic, you've got to have faith. For as he was dying, he prophesied about the exodus of Israel out of Egypt and gave instructions way beyond his lifetime that his bones were to be taken from Egypt with them. He understood his God as a multi-generational God. He understood his faith as a multi-generational faith. He understood that They are here in Egypt right now. And he's not just praying about this because he knew there was a day that they were going to come out of it. There's a day when this family's life is going to change. What are you declaring over your children? Both spiritual and natural children. What are you believing God for in the multi-generational process of your life? All right. Let's go look a little bit in Genesis 25. We've now read all these things about how somebody interpreted that which was written about this. I'm going to turn to verse 19 of Genesis 25, talking about Jacob um, and Esau, the sons of Isaac. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel. Uh, from Padam Aram, and sister of Laban the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. And the Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. Are you trusting God to become pregnant? Remember this prayers. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her that there are two nations inside of her womb, and that these two will be fighting So verse 27, the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. So Esau, I can relate more to Esau, the man who would in today's day have a four by four and go hunting and fishing and be a bit more dirty. And Jacob was the man who stayed at home, was more interested in cooking and things of at home. So two very different boys, two very different processes. And this led to the father obviously loving the son who's more outdoor and who likes the outdoor things and a frustration with the other son. Okay, why is it so quiet, Cotinia? 
So once, verse 29, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. And he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. So it was some type of curry stew, maybe with some tomato in that made it red, a tomato bready. And yeah, it was presented and um, it's being offered by the one son to the other son. Esau was the son that was naturally born first and he had naturally had the blessing. It was his already. Now in today's life, we don't do a lot about the birthright and we don't speak about the blessing. Because just now we offend somebody saying you are blessed and you're not. Is that right? But within the Israelite culture, there was a very strong, these two things, that you have the birthright as the firstborn. You are the one that is going to inherit. Just like Isaac inherited everything from Abraham. There was many sons, but Isaac inherited everything. He had the birthright. Now it's time for him to move that thing forward. And Esau is the natural choice. He was born first. He's the outdoorsman. He's the manly man. He's the one who should be carrying the blessing. Yeah. Make sense? Yeah. And he comes in famished. And Jacob says to him, first, sell me your birthright. So as a child of God, I hope we all call ourselves child of God. We all have a birthright that comes through Jesus. But Satan comes for us for that birthright. And when does he come to us with that promise? Sell me your birthright. When we're at the end of our tether, go to the next verse. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? So he was jolling in the field so long and the hunt took so much effort and he was chasing after the buck for five days and he most probably didn't catch anything, otherwise he wouldn't have got home hungry. He wouldn't have been hungry if he had been successful. So he came home tired, hungry, moodless, no plan, and desperate for something to eat. I see desperate Christians swapping their birthright for a moment's entertainment, for a moment's relief of the pressure. They give up on what God has promised them. Not they, us, all of us, myself included. We say, God, the pressure is too much. I'm about to die. What is the point to say I'm a child of God? What is the point of promising me heaven one day if right now I'm in trouble? I want a quick solution. And we sell what God wants to operate through us for the meal, for some lentil soup. Okay. Esau was the veg, uh, meat eater like me. Jacob was the vegetarian. So he sells his birthright for a bit of boinky soup, lentil soup, for something that has actually got no eternal value. Because God had promised him something. But at that moment, the pressure is too much. And who's been under that pressure that you are willing to sell your birthright? You're saying, I need an intervention right now, and I don't care what God had promised me for one day. Right now, I need the pressure relieved. 
can be financial, it can be sexual, it can be calling, can be relationships. I don't want to offend this one, so I'm, I'm going to stay at home with them today. I don't want to invite that one to church because just now they think funny of me. So pride becomes our lentil soup. Relationship with a boy or a girl becomes our lentil soup where we give up our right, our God-given birthright for short-term relief of pressure that we're experiencing in life. Often making debt is that thing. I'm under pressure right now and I want this thing answered, so I'll make debt. Then the short-term pressure is gone. And my family stays in debt for generations because I answered a short-term call. But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew, and he ate and drank and got up and left. You see, he despised his birthright. He didn't understand what his value is of a son or a daughter in the house of God. It was worth just one pot of soup. He wouldn't have died if he had to make himself something to eat. He wouldn't have died if he had to eat something that was maybe not so nice. It might have been raw at that time. There was much he could have done to relieve the pressure. But the shortcut, easy way, is just ask your brother for it. And swap what has got eternal value for what has got short-term value. Married people, you're under pressure in your wedding. Instead of trusting God to change somebody, instead of trusting God to change you, okay, shortcut out then. And I'm not saying God cannot redeem if we've messed up, if we got into debt or we got divorced or we messed up sexually or whatever, God can still fix. But I'm trying to put a warning and saying, let's not just take the short-term solution. Let's not take the shortcut. Let's not despise what God has given us. So it carries on the next chapter is chapter 26 of Genesis. And if you're a frontliner and you don't know Genesis 26, then either you haven't been here very long or you've missed what we're doing. Because we preach about Genesis 26 day and night. So Isaac, you've got to understand, is the connection. There's many, many chapters about Abraham. And there's also many, many chapters about Jacob. But Isaac, there isn't that much with Genesis 26 is about the clearest portion about Isaac. Isaac is the connection. Isaac is in the middle between the two. There's a lot mentioned about Isaac when they're actually talking about Abraham, like the time he got offered. And there's a lot mentioned about Isaac when they're talking about Jacob. But Isaac's own relationship with God isn't really pushed out except in Genesis 26. But Isaac is what makes the connection from Abraham to Jacob. And many of us is just that connection. We're just carrying the blessing through to the next person. We're just being that one that's got to make sure that it happens onwards. If you take that connection out, it dies. It stops. So 
But God, I don't want to just be a connection. Isn't that true? But when we start thinking about the long term and eternity and our children's children and the spiritual children children, you start a home cell. It's not about something to keep you busy on a Wednesday night. It's not about something to steal your time on a Wednesday night. It is about somebody's going to start a journey there. That is going to influence influences. That is going to touch generations down the line. If we had to ask where were we touched and influenced the most, it was in a, a little home cell in Westering by a quiet man, Harry Larson, who had a home cell. And you won't read about him ever in the newspaper. You will not hear about the miracles he did. But out of the 30-odd people that was in home cell with him for about 10 years, 80% of them went into full-time ministry. And there's churches across the world because of that little home cell. He was the Isaac. He was the connection. He was the one who carried the blessing through. So sometimes we're just the connection. Sometimes we're just the place. But if we take a decision today, it has eternal point. It has eternal effects. It doesn't just stop with us. Our good decisions and our bad decisions has eternal value. So I'm making this call again. Are you a son of faith? Are you somebody that says, hey, I'm be, even if I'm just a connection, it's okay. Because God is doing something multi-generational. God is doing something that will carry on long after I have left. There's people that served in this church in the early days that are not here anymore. But you can still see what they did. Some of the foundations they laid, some of the things they did, building this stage. Every Sunday, somebody stands on this stage and worships God. Not realizing that five, six years ago, somebody took off unpaid leave from their work and came and worked here for a couple of weeks and laid the foundation of the stage. You understand what I'm saying? Is that the things we do has a long-time effect. Right? We know that, um, let's just do the little bit of beginning of uh, Genesis 26. Now, there was a famine in the land. Besides the previous famine in Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I'll tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and I will bless you. For to you and your descendants. God always speaks in the Bible about you and your descendants. He's trying to let us understand that he's a multi-generational God. He's trying to make us understand that how we respond is going to affect many generations. To you and descendants, as, uh, for to you and your descendants, I'll give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the skies and will give them all these lands. And though your offspring and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Why? Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him. Yeah. Isaac's generations is going to be blessed. Why? 
because his dad obeyed. This is not my Bible I'm preaching. I'm saying what the Bible says. Isaac's children are blessed because his dad obeyed. So as a grandparent, if you obey, what happens to your grandchildren? If you do what God is saying, if you make godly choices, you can take this scripture to God every single day. Genesis 26 and verse 3 and 4. Because I'm obeying, I'm trusting you for my children. Because I'm choosing your way against all odds, I'm trusting for my children and my children's children. When he said to the, through you all nations will be blessed, he was talking about Jesus. He was saying to him, because Abraham obeyed, Jesus is going to come and change the whole world. So we're sitting here today because Abraham obeyed. And I will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him. Keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. Church, I want you to understand that there's something that God works through impartation. I was in church on Sunday night in NBCFC. And that's where this comes from, where dad was handing on the baton to his sons. And my first thought was, but dad, I'm not a son. I'm not your natural son. I'm not the one to whom the baton is, is handed over. But then I, the story of Jacob came to me and said, but Jacob also wasn't the firstborn natural son. He was the one who pushed in and said, hey, I'll come and act like my brother. I'll come and do what my brother does because I'm pushing in for the, the blessing. I'm pushing in for that which my father carries. I don't care if it is mine or not. I want it. I'm pushing in for that one. And that faith made him have an experience on God and we can still carry on talking about his life. But there was a commitment to say, I'll dress up like my brother, I'll cook like my brother, I'll act like my brother, I'll smell like my brother, so that I can get what he's got. Instead of saying, well, we sit on a little heap and saying, well, I'm not as blessed as Esau, and I can't hunt like he does, and dad doesn't like me as much as he does, and all the things that we do, and we mope around, and we miss out on what God has for us, because of, Something that didn't come easy. Because something is going to take some sons and daughters of faith to say, I'm going to push in. If dad likes it or not, I'm going to get the blessing he carries. <laughs> That's the way that Jacob approached it. Dad doesn't want to give it to me, but I'm going to pursue it. I'm going to push for it, even if it takes something. So... We know the story um, clearly. God rewards faithfulness. God blesses multi-generational. Your birthright has value. Your spiritual birthright, being part of a church, being part of something that happens, has a value. That's one of the reasons why I push so much for churches to be opened. 
The limit of 250 does not affect frontline. We're not at 250. But I don't want many other people to sit at home and miss out on the multi-generational effect of being part of a church and they cannot get in because the churches are closed. So we have to fight and saying, because there's something that happens with the laying on of hands, the blessing of God that speaks out. We cannot lose it as a church and think we can sit in our lounges and just be comfortable in our jammies and watch church and think we're going to get the same blessing as somebody who gets up, dresses up, and shows up. Don't compromise for your anointing. So many things that are easier to pursue than your anointing. Even for me, that's both a pastor and a businessman. It's easier to pursue my business anointing because there's no emotion involved. If there, I tell somebody, do this, they do it. And if they don't, I have a disciplinary hearing. There's no emotion involved. There's just, you're going to do what I say or you're going to ship off. But in church, I have to be all nice, and I have to beg and ask and plead. So it's easier to pursue another anointing, where it's not volunteers working, where it's paid people. And I have to trade something for something. And if you don't want to do it, I won't do my side. But in church, for sons of faith to rise up, it has to be something that they're doing from the inside. It's not something where I can necessarily trade something that I can, at the end of the month, you're not going to get your pay. Yes, I know there's some staff, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the church as a grouping. It's much easier for me to say I'm going in business and do things where I can tell things how to happen. Let me tell you a quick testimony about business. Sure, a strange thing happened this week. I was having a fight with a contractor that wasn't doing his work, and I was really giving it all I have. And his truck full of workers, a big truck full of a lot of workers, was sitting there. And this guy that was arguing with me didn't know I'm a pastor or an apostle or something. And suddenly one of his workers on the back jumped up and said, that guy is an apostle, don't speak to him like that. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what you know or where you've heard it. But, and in a moment, all these people jumped off the truck and came for prayer. And I was in one minute in fighting business mode with deadlines and issues and tar that's getting cold. You've got to get it into the road before it's cold. There's like a limited time. And the next minute, all of that was forgotten. And I'm praying over people. And, okay, what is your name? What's your wife's name? What is your children's name? Let me pray for you. And the, the group just grew and grew. And I'm like, okay. That's never happened to me in my work before. And I was fairly taken aback. But it's just a moment that I want to share with you. I don't know where the other guy heard that I'm a pastor. or they know, Some of them know I'm a pastor, but they specifically used the word apostle. And he said, don't speak to him like that. And not the one who spoke out, but others jumped off and said, okay, I want prayer from this man. They wanted what we carry. Pursue the blessing with all you have. Even if you're a dirty construction worker with your pick and shovel in your hand, come in, 
because God's got something. And I'm trusting God that every one of those people that came for prayer there, their life will change multi-generationally. Not just one moment of it. You see, I grew up in a church where we never laid hands on people. Because the whole understanding of laying on of hands was lost to the church for many generations. During the last century, it returned to our understanding that there's something that changes over when God, through one of his servants, lay hands upon you and speaks a blessing out to you. Just like Isaac did to Jacob and Joseph, I mean, Jacob did to Joseph's children. Something changes on it. Listen to this scripture in Deuteronomy 34 and verse 9. And as I was preparing, one of the members of our worldwide church sent it to me. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses has laid his hands on him. Something was conferred, something was imparted, something changed hands when Moses laid his hands on him. And it says Joshua, son of Nun, not Joshua, son of Moses. They had changed. It wasn't anymore the lineage, natural lineage. It was a spiritual lineage. Joshua served Moses for many, many, many years. But when the time came for Joshua to lead, he was full of wisdom. Why? Because Moses laid his hands on him. Moses came to a place where he said, do you want to be a son of faith? Do you want to be full of faith and do the things I did? And I believe Joshua did more than what Moses did. Moses was only able to bring the people out of slavery into the wilderness. But he didn't have the capacity to take them from the wilderness into the promised land. And God brought a Joshua and said to him, let me lay hands, lay hands upon him, Moses, because his job is to be full of wisdom and courage and carry the people to the next level. A front line is only going to be based upon my anointing. It's going to last another 20 years or 10 years at max. Then it's going to be over. But I'm trusting God that the next 10 to 20 years is going to transfer something. He's going to put something into others that goes way beyond me, that go way beyond mom, that goes way beyond my natural children. Because God is saying, I'm looking to transfer something. I'm looking to carry something. I'm looking to take something way beyond this. If we were only having a nice church here for a few years, it would be better to close it now already. It would be better to saying we wasted our time. This is a small group. It's not going to ever change honey to you. But I believe God is doing something way beyond. And that's why I'm so sad when the youth is not here. We had a thriving youth not that long ago. Now I'm too scared to ask who's under the age of 18. We need to trust God 
for the young people to be here because we need to pass the baton to them. And if there's one of the greatest things that the pandemic has stolen through the year that the church was quiet, is that the young people have lost their hope and their function in the church. And we as parents and as spiritual parents have to push in for it with all we have. And we've got to sow and give into that specific thing so that there's not a gap. So that the Isaacs of the next thing that will keep the fire burning until the Jacobs come isn't cut out of the system. Does it make sense? Can I have the band up, please? Okay, so you've heard what faith is. And you've heard what people have done because of faith. And you've seen how God works in a multi-generational way. I know there's visitors here and I don't want to do something that offends you or makes you uncomfortable. But I need to speak to those who calls this home. And I want to ask if you want to be a son of faith in this house. And don't just come up because it's the politically correct thing to do. I need you to just spend some time while we sing Yeshua to just say, is it really my place to be a son of faith in this house? Or am I comfortable to being on the edges? Am I comfortable to being on the fringes? Or do I want to carry forward to both the spiritual and physical children I have, something supernatural. Can I take the pulpit away, please? Can we, as we sing this, I want to lay hands upon those who says they want to be that. But I don't, I'm scared of creating peer pressure for it because I don't want anybody to act out of peer pressure. I want you to, while we sing this song, talk about God and saying, I want to carry what Pastor Hannes carries. And God, we know that it gets multiplied. And we know that there's a double anointing on the next generation. Jacob did stuff that Abraham never did. Joshua did stuff that Moses never did. But there was a transference. There was something that happened. And if you want that, yeah, as we stand at the end of the first while of the pandemic and we understand that the church has taken such knocks. We understand that the church has been so affected. And we know that our own hearts have been so affected by the things that the church has done. If you've been hurt by the church, join the club. I don't think there's anybody here that's not been disappointed by the church. If you feel like you've never fitted in, join the club. Everybody feels that. If you feel like you're not good enough, join the club. I'm the number one in that department. But if you're saying, hey, I look away from the natural and I see a city in the supernatural. I see something in the future that is beyond what I see now. And I want to be a part of that in this place. 
then I'm asking you to, during the song, come up. I'll put my mask on, I'll sanitize, and I'll come lay hands just on your shoulder so that I don't transfer anything and we can spray onto your shoulder afterwards if you want to. But we will have an opportunity for you to have the same type of experience that what Joshua had from Moses. Let's just stand and worship. We hope that you enjoyed today's message. Our services are streamed live on our Facebook page every Sunday morning at 9.30. For more information and resources, please go to our website, www.frontlinecitychurch.co.za or look us up on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube.